0: Praying for an awareness of the uh, presence of God as we're here to worship Him and look into His Word and to be able to comprehend the truths that He has for us and to open up our lives to receive them and that can have a powerful effect on our service to Him. So there's this resurrection message going out over thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands, I don't know, pulpits here this morning. It's a beautiful and a powerful message and uh, the question for me is, the question for us is, how does this work in a practical way in our lives today? So I believe we looked at that already as we studied Sunday school that it's important to believe and accept the reality, reality of the historical event of what took place there approximately 2,000 years ago. And uh, I know that God would have it that what took place there as a primary factor in what comes forth from our lives today and uh, the resurrection life as far as Christ is concerned is indisputable there's I'm speaking to audience this morning I know there's many people out there that would dispute it but that doesn't change a thing it's a reality but What we want to look at is how, first of all, how that reality of of the resurrected life, how it transferred over into the disciples' lives, his apostles, his followers, and how that played out in in, in the birth of the church and, and what went forth from there. And so here we are 2023, and the dynamics of Involved in bringing that reality into our lives is is no different than it was for the disciples. Jesus was alive. The disciples were witnesses of that. And that life, just that, that reality of resurrection, how it played into their lives was the power behind the machine that brought life to the world uh, through the preaching of the gospel. But what are the dynamics involved with that? And that's what we want to be focusing on here this morning. I'm going to just put something simple on the board here, and it's uh, sometimes that, that I just like the simplicity of what we have right behind. It's something I, over the years, have always appreciated and don't always have it, depending where I'm at. But this morning, I'm to just put it up there and uh, try to make it uh, where you can have see what we're trying to put down here. So this, this just represents the tomb and, and uh, there's a those rays coming up realized that that tomb did not contain Christ. And here we have this, we'll call this the Calvary Road. Of course we have, in here we have, and I'll we'll put one more thing in here just to kind of cement it in our minds here. So we have here the life of Christ, and uh, it's a consecrated life, it's a, uh, a life that is entirely devoted. And we have the Calvary Road, which means we could go back maybe before, but especially we could go back to his baptism where he was consecrated to what the will of the Father was. And in that time and probably before he understood this stood right in front of him. And we we look into the, the Gospels and we see especially at one point, I'm not sure where it was in Luke, About chapter 12 or so, his face was set towards Jerusalem. And and he knew, and he he talked to his disciples about that. And uh, that was the core of of what his purpose, his purpose was singular. And this morning we we sang and we focused on what happened over there. And uh, any logical person can realize you cannot really separate this and this. Uh, in order for there to be a resurrection, there has to be a, a crucifixion. There has to be a death. There's, there's no way someone can be brought forth from the dead unless death, first of all, takes place. And uh, I say, that anybody can figure that out. But uh, for the doctrine we're looking at this morning, this, this is important. We, we put the two together. We, we're not. We, we need to, when we talk about the resurrection, even some of the songs we sang this morning, there, there was the cross there that came before that. So we have Christ here. He's walking on this road, and he's consecrated. He, his life is devoted to a singular cause, and he's going forward. He knows this stands right there. And... Uh, that, that is really is an important t- to understand. And I'd like now to go to the text we're looking at. Uh, if you would turn with me to Second Corinthians chapter 4. And I was really struggling to know where to break in here. And uh, the core of what we're looking at is verses... Uh, 10 and 11, but I'm I'm going to start at verse one, and I make make mention a little bit of, of a few things that we have in chapter three of Second Corinthians. I will read 2 Corinthians chapter four, verses one, all the way down to verse 15. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on a lot of these verses, but they kind of all tie together. in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of those who believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto the death for Jesus unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We have the same spirit of faith according as it is written, I believe and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus, and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might, through the thanksgiving of many, redound to the glory of God. Okay, so we have, first of all, he mentions his ministry, and then we need to maybe refer back to to chapter 3. And we can think of Moses and the ministry that he had, bringing the the covenant from Mount Sinai, that the, the Ten uh, Commandments on those stones. And uh, we don't want to get into this a lot, but those stones were probably only changed to the effect that the the marks that were made on them. It was the law of God. It was a perfect law. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that law. It's it's absolutely glorious and perfect. The, the, The problem was with the recipients. And even the problem was somewhat with the vehicle of, the uh, bringing of that covenant, which was Moses. Uh, Moses failed in, in one instance, especially failed in a great way. And so he was not uh, a perfect mediator. But as he was standing in the presence of God and, and receiving this, and he came down to speak to the people, bring it to them, the, the glory of God was absorbed in his being to where that glory was evident. And that glory needed to be covered, and there's there's some mystery there. I don't want to go into this morning, but he said we're not ministers of that covenant. We're ministers of the covenant of life, which is, in a very uh, summarizing way, it is as the Holy Spirit takes control of our lives and and fills us. The Holy Spirit is God, so He fills us with the glory of God as we stand in the presence of God, and and so. We are ministers of of something very precious, and it's mentioned in verse 4 here that we are ministers of the glorious gospel. And this is a a topic that has kind of consumed my mind over the uh, last number of years, and that is how can we have this gospel be effective? How can it penetrate? How can it get and to do what the gospel is meant to do with the transformation of people's lives? bringing life to them, and bringing them to the hope of eternal glory with Christ versus eternal hellfire. So this is a very important topic to me, and it should be to all of us. And so the message we have this morning, I think, has a lot of answers to these questions. And uh, it's something I trust we can get a hold of. And... uh, the, the message title I have, I struggle a little bit with this because the message title always to me needs to get to the core of what we want to get across. And I have, I have for a title, The Exchanged Life. Exchanged Life, and we have that in our key verses here, verses 10 and 11, where... Uh, the self-life, the, the life that is no good, the life that will get in the way, whatever God wants to do, that life is exchanged for the life of Christ. And there's, there's a formula we have here, there's a, a recipe, there's, there's a method in which this takes place, and we need to pay attention to how that works. And it mentions here also, I was thinking back to last Sunday evening, the message there, in verse six, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, that that first day light came and changed things in the in the beginning of creation. He says that light has also reached us. In verse six, the shine in our hearts. has given us knowledge. We this knowledge is beyond just a intellectual comprehension. It's it's a knowing, understanding of the glory of God. It's something that has has taken a hold of us and, and has changed us, made us uh, sufficient ministers of the new covenant. Uh, a, a ministry that brings life, a ministry that brings hope, a ministry that, that is effective, not because of us, but because of who is working through us. And and he says in verse 7, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And the reason that it's in earthen vessels is that the excellency, the power may be of God, not of us. And this this comes through, especially as Paul writes to the Corinthians, the importance of that. Now this past week we got into a house, and it's how these old houses are. There's some stuff stuck down there in the cellar. and some stuff that maybe had a little value, it didn't. but I came across some clay pots in there. And uh, what do I do with them? Well, I, they almost have absolutely no value to me, these old clay pots. And I was thinking, well, either break them up and bury them or throw them on the dump trailer haul into the landfill because that's about all the value they have. But then I was reflecting on a little bit. At one point, probably these... Plain old clay pots had some kind of flower in there, and that flower part was really beautiful. And the the tension never was on that clay pot, it was on the flower that was in it. Now, uh, this, this can be a clue of what we're getting at here this morning. That can be turned around where you have this beautiful ornamental pot, and you try to decorate as much as you can. And, and you have a flower in there that is wilted and it's dying or it's completely dead. So the focus now is on the, on the pot rather than on the life that it was bearing. And so there's some truths there, I think, that are very important for us. But as we stand in the presence of God, we could bring the latter verses of uh, chapter 3 into the picture here, verse 18. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed unto the same image from glory to glory, even by the Spirit of the Lord. And so our earthen vessels, these bodies are not in focus, but there's obviously the presence of the Lord and that's radiating from our lives. And how does that take place? Well we have the answer here in verse verse ten and eleven. And I in, in verse ten I underlined the word always and in verse eleven I underlined the word always always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body And verse 11 kind of repeats for we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus sake that the life also of Jesus might be mani- made manifest in our mortal flesh so we know that these bodies are dying they're 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 getting old they're they're on a, a route that has no sure end unless Christ comes back. And uh, the only way, if I'm understanding what the text here is saying, that the life of Christ can shine through, is that there's a death that is, is a reality. And this morning we'd like to maybe make this a subjective truth, and I say it's not a subjective truth, it's objective truth. This is not some kind of abstract idea, this is a reality that has to be Uh, ever-present in our lives, always, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ, a key to the extremely effective life of the Apostle Paul. And he understood this concept and the importance of it. We often fail to understand the importance and the necessity of this Piece of equipment right here. And as I get involved with some evangelistic work, and as I reflect even on my own life, I think that our concept of ourselves, now, now the concept that's out there is that deceived humanity has this concept that man is basically good, and if any evil would happen to come forth from man, it's because of some. Uh, Maybe some wrong environment that came into the picture, but uh, we normally would do that, which is good. and then if something somebody does something evil, it's it's an abnormality. And if, if we understand the the concept that we get from this book is uh, completely the opposite of that. Uh, humanity is absolutely and hundred percent completely, depraved. That there, there's nothing good because of sin that entered into the world. There's nothing good that can come out of this life in itself. And so if we think of the crucifixion and, and that Christ uh, or God himself chose this kind of death and it is probably symbolized as the most drastic and, and most uh, Rule and, and most, I'm not sure what the right adjective would be there, way of doing this. They're, they couldn't find a more dramatic, more drastic, more, uh, I've come up short with words, but this is the way it was done in, in the time of Christ, the Roman government and their method of dealing with the worst of criminals, that all came together. At this point, and that the message that I get is there is some very drastic things that have to happen to this flesh, this carnality, this, this person, and outside of, of this event, there's really nothing that can be done to fix the problem. We, we can get that now clear. We're dealing with people we like to, to think the best of, and we think of our neighbors that we know are not converted. We know they're not uh, following Christ. We know that they're on the wrong track, and we like to think of them as good people. And it's not wrong, maybe, to, to think the best of them, but to understand that in in the eyes of God, they are... Are completely out of the picture of, of uh, and, and if there's anything good come out of their, their lives, uh, it really won't change who they are and what their destiny will be if, if there's not a conversion. And so, the, our tendency of the depravity and the evil are, are bent towards evil, an intrinsic nature that is wrong our lostness, and the only solution to that is the most drastic death, which was needed. And there's no other solution. And we have, we have this concept clear in our minds as, as we are relating to the needs of the world around us. And as we relate to ourselves, and I want to get to, to it a little bit of how we relate to, to our carnal tendencies and all that. Now, there's a popular concept of the cross, and that is uh, we could put some uh, names to that. And I think I won't do that this morning. But the, the idea of the cross is, okay, so we, we doctrinally we all believe this. Christ came, and he, he had to end up here. And, of course, the result of this is that there's only one purpose for this thing. unless Unless someone intervenes, which usually didn't happen, this is what's going to happen. There's a corpse, there's a dead corpse there, and that's what this thing is intended to do. And so uh, we, we get this concept in our mind that this is necessary, but what I was getting at was that the concept is that we focus entirely on the vicarious work of Christ. When I say vicarious, it has the idea of substitute, uh, there's this song we sing that Jesus took my place on Calvary and up to there I'm good but then it says that I don't so I don't have to go and then that, I feel it now it gets into some false doctrine Jesus took my place on Calvary he had to do that there, there had to be a sacrifice there had to be something we can go to Isaiah 53 uh, there was a taking my place that, that was absolutely necessary But the idea that now I don't have to go is diametrically against what I'm preaching about this morning. Paul decided if this was the road that his Savior had to walk, if he had to walk this road, then who am I to want to choose something different? Who am I to believe that my road is any different than that? And we have that in Galatians. I'm not going to turn to that. But Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me and the life which I now live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Christ didn't do this, and that's it. If if we cannot, in our lives, and this again is not some abstract thing, this has to be a reality. If I cannot identify and know that I took my place with him. I'm crucified with Christ. And the only life that that dare come forth from that is the life of Christ. And this is some beautiful theology maybe, but for for Apostle Paul, when he penned those words, it was more than that. It was the testimony of his life. It's how he chose to live. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but it's not I that's living anymore. It's it's Christ that's living in me, and the life that I now live is, is a constant going there, a constant always, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ, so that His life may be manifest. So it's that uh, that exchange life, and what an exchange! If I can leave this depraved, this this corrupt, this this no good. Uh, worthless, worth, worse than worthless because it gets in the way of the purpose of God. So if, if my life and, and what I am in myself is not put out of the picture, then the life of Christ cannot come into it. And, and in Philippians 3.10 we have this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings be made conformable unto his death. And so the first part is, is, is very popular, that I may know him. And the second part, and know the power of his resurrection. Who doesn't want that? But then the rest of it, the fellowship of his suffering be made conformable unto his death. And we already looked at what his death really looks like. And the Apostle Paul understood the second part of that verse to be essential for the first part to be a reality. In other words, he could not uh, know Christ, he could not know the power of his resurrection unless he was, that word fellowship has the idea of a a joint togetherness, koinonia is the word there. Uh, So this is a joint thing that I and, and my Lord Jesus Christ are in this together, and this is what my life consists of from here on out. That was not what his life consists of as he was on the way to Damascus to destroy the Christians. To be made conformable unto his death. And I believe in my mind I still struggle and there's maybe cultural things, but it has to go deeper than that of having the right concept of the cross. And I I just this morning again just quickly went to... uh, Martyr's Mirror and the the Testimony of the Apostle Andrew. The Apostle Andrew was uh, Peter's brother, and uh, I don't have the names written down here, but he, in his preaching of the gospel, the governor's wife was converted. And the governor was furious over this thing, and he threatened uh, Andrew with the cross. And and Andrew said, I'm not scared of the cross. Actually, that's what I want. I'm putting it in my, my own words. But then he wrote these as, as the cross was there, as he stood before the cross, as ready to be put on there, he's, he said, O oh, beloved cross, how greatly I have longed for thee. Then he went on to say, the nearer I come to the cross, the nearer I come to God. and The farther I am from the cross, the farther I remain from God. So this, this is the concept that we need to grab a hold of this morning. The, the, the embracing of the cross. And now, in, in my flesh, there's never that. I, I would never long for being stripped down naked and, and being, getting nails put in, in my hands and, and hanging there and struggling. As I understand that uh, as, as you're hanging there, you can't really breathe, and so you have to pull yourself up to be able to take your next breath. And then you can't stand in pain so you, you drop back down but then if you need to breathe again and this struggle can go on for days uh, we can't hardly imagine uh, just what all was involved in that but the life of Christ as we look at the 2 Corinthians 4:10 and 11 cannot be a reality unless his death is a reality it's exchanged life I, I penned this down, I'm not sure where this came from. It says, all of self equals none of Christ. Some of self equals some of Christ. Less of self equals more of Christ. And none of self equals all of Christ. I trust we can relate to that, and, and God help us to understand where we're at in, in this thing. Now in Colossians 2, there again, I'm not turning to it, but it says, uh, I didn't write the reference there, I think it's like verse 12, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. So as we are, we have this concept not only of being dead, but also buried with him. Now there's a teaching out there of the, the complete erratification of the old man, where that teaching exists, that, okay, so we're not only going to be dead with Christ, we're going to be buried. And if we're put six feet under, there's no way that old man's ever going to come back out of there. And that sounds as pretty wonderful. But, if I look at my life and the reality of the struggle that goes on in there, I say, it doesn't work that way. That the struggle of the flesh is real, and it's constant for me. And I really don't know of anyone else that has experienced the reality of where there is six feet under and the old man can never get back out of there. It's that, that is why I think Apostle Paul writes that he's always bearing before him. This is a concept that he lives with all the time. And it's more than a concept. It's a way of life. So there's two basic things we want to look at the cross that we find in scriptures. There are probably some more, but the one we have here, and we're going to come back to that in 2 Corinthians 4, I'd like to turn now to Romans chapter 6. Uh, we're going to be reading verses 3 to 5. These are, these are not abstract ideas. These are realities, I think, that need to be a part of our our doctrinal belief and practice. Romans 6, 3 Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if, We have been planted together in the likeness of his death. We should also be also in the likeness of his resurrection. We have the same concept here. The concept that as we identify with the death of Christ, then we also identify with with the power of the resurrected life. And so uh, I'd like to look at the context. I purposely did not read the verses of the context, but... uh, we look at verses 1 and 2, it says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So the, the focus of the cross here, the death that takes place, it has to do with how we relate to sin. And teaching here is clear. We go on to verse 6. Knowing the old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. In other words, sin no longer has power in our lives. In verse 7, he that is dead is freed from sin. So the bondage of sin, this is the exchanged life. The bondage of sin, that power that sin had over us, is broken. And I'm just going to put this in a negative sense for a little bit because I think it can drive home better. But where we have... Church situations or lives of people we're working with where sin abounds is evidence that the reality of the cross is not being coming through clearly. The reality that we have here, the truth of the scripture is that the work of the cross done effectively, done uh, what it has it's meant to do, this is a result right here. Uh, that, that's what was taken into that tomb, a dead corpse. And that as we relate to sin, and I've heard this already, and I'll just throw it out there for what it's worth, that you can have this piece of meat, and this juicy piece of meat, and it's savory, and you, and you have this dog, and you, you hold it in front of it, and that, you know what's going to happen. But suppose that something happened to that dog, and that dog is dead, and you have this piece of meat and you're you're there and you can stick it right in front of his nose, you can even try to put it in his mouth, that dog is not going to have any interest in that piece of meat. And the reason is obvious, that dog is dead. And so we can apply that concept to how we relate to the temptations that come our way. And uh, how we relate to whether we are there with Christ or not. So, uh, I repeated, if, if sin is a, a reoccurring problem in our life or in the life of the church, then then this is this is where we need to go to take care of it. Now we go back to um, our text here in 2 Corinthians 4. And we have in the context here of... Dying, the Lord Jesus of, of a something very distinct from from sin in focus here, and I, I think this one is just as important. We understand, and in the context of the dying, what the cross looks like. So we said the cross looks like something that takes care of the sin problem. In this case, what the cross looks like is how we relate to the injustices and the, and the uh, persecution, the suffering. How we relate to suffering in our lives. What, what our worldview, what our concept is of suffering. This is important this morning. And here again, we live in a culture, and this culture can really come through in, in what I call Western Christianity, and that's the idea of the health, wealth, and prosperity Gospel. A gospel that claims that if you're committed to Christ and you give your tithes and whatever, you're going to become rich. Be, you can Whatever sickness you have, you can take it to God and you can become healed if you have enough faith and that your life is just going to go well and you're going to become powerful and popular, and etc., etc. And that, my dear people, I do not find that concept at all in here. In fact, I find the exact opposite of it and that's what we're preaching here this morning. Persecution is a suffering that we receive as a result of our faith, our faithfulness in Jesus Christ. And I was just reading in John 15 verses 18 to 21, and basically what he's saying there is that he, as our leader, as as our King, as our Lord, if he had to suffer, if if people, if the world treated him the way they did, we know how they treated him, they put him on there that we should not expect anything different as his followers. But somehow, not just because of the teaching and preachings out there, but of the environment that we live in, this concept can come through that that persecution and suffering is either for other people in other places or for a different era than the one we're living in. And somehow, we deserve something better and if we're living something better it's, it's because we deserve it. Now we went out right say that but I think that in back of my mind that concept can exist here that really we deserve to be treated justly we deserve to for the people of the world around us to respect us we deserve that we live in peace and quiet, and we deserve religious freedom. And this is the norm for the church. And if you read the history of the true church, it has almost consistently been, other, been otherwise than that. It has been a rejection and a suffering and a, and a, and a tremendous persecution. I was just reading of, of the translation of uh, the Reina Valera, the, the man by the name of Reina, he translated the Spanish Bible in the time of the Inquisition and tremendous that the tremendous things that the people that were converted and, and were following the Bible that they had to suffer for their faith. And this this is, as we read across the, the pages of the history of the, the Church of Jesus Christ that it has been pretty much a norm. And here we find ourselves this morning uh, experiencing Something that has been somewhat different. And I'm not here this morning that we uh, promoting that we self-inflict suffering, no. But I am promoting that we have a, a right attitude toward what the cross is. The cross is suffering. That there was nothing just, there is nothing right about what took place here, whether it was Jesus Christ or whether it was Andrew, because he happened to preach to the governor's wife, and he wasn't happy with the results. But the concept that Andrew had as he faced the cross, and I could have went on to say that after a couple of days, I don't think he was nailed there. I think he was tied there, and after being on there for a few days, that the uh, his supporters got together and they said, this isn't right, and and they were putting together a petition, whatever, we've got to do something, we've got to get this man off of there, and and if I understood right, it came to the place where they were maybe actually considering, and, and Andrew said, no, he said, I'm this close to receiving my reward, and I do not want to get off of here, do we want to get off of here this morning, is that where we want to be, or do we want to be elsewhere, we don't like being there do we and how how can we like being there well I just really appreciate the words of Apostle Andrew the near I am to the cross the nearer I am to God and the further that I remain from the cross the further I remain from God And what just exactly what does that look like in my life what it looks like for me might look like different for you. It would look like different for the Muslims over in in uh, Eastern uh, in the Middle East or the uh, communist countries. But the cross has to be as real to us as it is to them. And their attitude about the suffering... Has to, we have to have the right world view, the right concept about it. And so that, that the reality of the exchanged life is that the deeper the depth of the reality of, of our putting to death ourself and, and our carnal ways, it's really the only way the life of Christ can, can transmit. That's the only way that the resurrection can be visible to the world we're living in. And to my shame I have already avoided the cross and and when that happens the the evidence is of the old man that uh, really has nothing to offer in service for Jesus Christ. But the more I give myself and, and just given and devoted to consecrated life, a life that is has a singular devoted uh, purpose, entirely devoted life, that here's my life and use it for whatever and however, uh, and that looks different for every one of us, but it has to be a reality. And if that's not a reality, and we understand why we're powerless to preach the gospel and to get people into the kingdom, it, it, the obvious is there. And so how, how can I be sure that I have the proper concept of persecution and suffering and what the cross really is. This is not some kind of figure of speech. This is a reality for every Christian. And it's not some kind of gold thing we hang on our neck. It's 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 a way of life. It's what it was for the Apostle Paul, what it needed need to be for us. I thought I'd read yet 1 Corinthians 4 uh, especially in the, in the first letter to the Corinthians, Paul was dealing with some, some serious carnality and some er- erroneous concepts uh, about this very subject. And uh, so he got pretty blunt with some of what he wrote. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I'll start at verse 9 down to 13. For I think that God had set forth us, the apostles, last as it were, appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world unto the angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. Even unto this present hour we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place and labor, working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the offscouring of all things unto this day. The concept that the world had of the Christians and through the, the strength of the Roman Empire, that, that concept varied a little bit, but that concept was there. It was the Christians that burned Rome, according to Nero, and so they were the, they were the culprits for all the problems they were having the the tremendous persecution that went on in the face of, uh, first of all, of the the Jewish leaders, and then of the Roman Empire, and until Constantine came, and then somehow the cross kind of slipped out of the picture, and the power of the church went with it. And so, where are we at today? We know when Anabaptism rose up, the cross was was the key to that whole thing, and. Uh, as we've moved over to from Europe to the United States, some of that has, has faded out. So how how do we relate to that? Going back to our text said for one final verse. Second Corinthians four and the last verse that I include in here. Well maybe I'll read verses fourteen and fifteen. Second Corinthians four, fourteen. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus shall present us with you. Now I'd like to make mention, I think Andrew mentioned in his prayer, there is a spiritual resurrection which we need to be experiencing now. And then there's a physical resurrection that we're looking forward to. And I think verse 14 is referring to the physical one. This is something that's still coming. The way Jesus was physically raised up, we expect the same. Verse 15, for all things are for your sakes. They were willing to suffer whatever for the sake of the Corinthian church, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. So that word grace is a tremendous word. Abundant grace adds more uh, power to it maybe. Uh, But that grace is most visible, I think, when the church is suffering at its most intensity. And the understanding of what that word is is best understood as we stand to follow our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll call for a song.